your Bibles tonight, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2. Last week we talked about learning to be hearers and doers of the word, not just hearers only. We talked about how when we listen to the word, that word listen, the word obey, doesn't just mean to hear with our ears. It means that we need to do what we hear. We need to obey what we've been listening to. That if we're not obeying, we haven't really heard. Are you with me? And it it just grieves me how often, and I'll put myself in this same category, how often we come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we never miss Bible study, we never miss prayer meeting, we have CDs going in our car, good teaching in our car, we're reading good Christian books, and yet we're listening and not doing what we've heard. So have we really heard it? And so that's what we talked about last week. And so I want to just pick up a a bit in in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. I really want to do the whole chapter, but I won't. I'll just do uh, verses 1 through 4. But I heard, I think it was Matt Chandler say, that sometimes a preacher is like a flight attendant. I recently applied for a job as a flight attendant because I thought that's what I wanted to do because I travel every week and I like being in airplanes and I thought maybe that might be a fun job to do and and then I started to look at what flight attendants really do and and we're on the air we're on an airplane a lot and so I don't know about you but when that flight attendant gets up and she has her little brochure and she starts to do the thing with her fingers I, I you know I just kind of tune out I put my iPod on I might you know be talking to Leslie we might even be playing cards in the middle of listening to that flight attendant and and, you know because you know how it is she's trying to tell us what we need to do to stay safe she's trying to tell us what we need to do in the event of an emergency actually to save our lives and we're all tuning her out anybody with me and she's really doing a good job and she's pouring her heart out trying to get our attention and give us all these safety instructions and yet we're tuning her out And I heard Matt Chandler say that the job of a preacher is a lot like that. You pour yourself out, you're giving all these instructions, all these safety recommendations, you're telling people how to stay safe, and yet they're tuning you out. They're listening, but they're really not listening. They're not doing anything with what they've heard. And I hope that that is not uh, where, where we're at here in this Bible study, but I'm afraid sometimes for me, even I'm telling you, I do that. I go to church, I say, wow, that was a great sermon, but really I don't apply any of it to my life. That means I'm just a hearer and I'm not a doer. I haven't really heard. And so I want to just elaborate on that just a little bit tonight in Hebrews chapter 2, again, beginning in verse 1. Therefore... We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a reward, how shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I love that, who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, now you need to know that that the writer of Hebrews, we we really don't know who he is. Commentators are really uh, 
they really disagree of who probably wrote the book of Hebrews, but they know that he was probably a Hebrew because he has a lot of Old Testament knowledge. And he was writing to Jewish Christians. Now, that's really important when you begin to read through the book of Hebrews. And as we begin to explore chapter 2, it's important that you know that he was writing to Jewish Christians. He's writing to believers, not to unbelievers. Because you might be tempted to take this, these couple verses that I'm going to talk about tonight and say, but Rhea, he was talking about He was talking to unbelievers. No, I don't believe he was, and most commentators don't either. Uh, The people he was writing to, they were experiencing great persecution because of their faith in Christ. They were Jews. They were Hebrew believers who once believed, you know, followed a Jewish lifestyle and then came to Christ, came to the knowledge of Christ, and now they were Jewish Christians. But they came under all kinds of persecution because of that. I'm telling you, dear one, if you are not under persecution for what you believe, you don't believe enough. Say, Rhea. These are Jewish Christians who are coming under persecution because of what they believe. And so, because of that, they were tempted to return to an old lifestyle. I just wonder how many of you, you know, you stepped out for Christ. Maybe you got made fun of. Maybe people were teasing you. Maybe people didn't like you so much anymore. And so, instead of continuing to embrace Christianity, to embrace being sold out, laid down lover of Christ, instead of that, you're tempted to just return to your old man because somehow you were more popular then. Or life was easier then. And so when that persecution comes, rather than embrace it, we were tempted to return to an old lifestyle. Even though it wasn't a good one, we're tempted to return to it. Well, that's where the, uh, the Jewish Christians were when the writer of Hebrews wrote this letter. He says, therefore, and you've heard me say this a million times, anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? It's a hinge. And it almost always connects the, the, the verses or the chapter before. Does somebody have another translation that says something different than therefore? What is it? For this reason. That's NIV, I think, is it? Anybody else? What NESB? Anybody else have another translation that says something different, Heather? We must pay more te- careful attention. But what comes before that? Just a therefore. It's it's a unwritten therefore, isn't it? So because of this reason, therefore, because of what reason? Therefore, what? What is it there for? Uh, You see, the writer is connecting what came before. And if you read through chapter 1, it's so interesting to me because there is not one command, there's not one suggestion in that whole chapter. That whole chapter is dedicated strictly to establishing the supremacy of Christ. His superiority. The writer's talking about how he's, he's higher than angels, he's better than angels, he's better than anything. That, 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 that he is superior above all. I, I just wonder if you believe that tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is superior and above all? We call him our Lord, but do you understand what a Lord is? A Lord is, that means a slave-master kind of relationship. That means you're the master, I'm the slave. A slave does what his master says. It's a picture of superiority, isn't it? And falling under that authority, falling under his supremacy. Are you with me? 
And so the writer of Hebrews spends whole, the whole of chapter 1 establishing the supremacy of Christ, saying there is no other. It doesn't get any better than him. There are no other gods beside him. Can I just tell you that? There aren't. You can line him up against everything, and I promise you he will come out on top. That's why we spend so much time and energy searching for love in all the wrong places, searching to get our needs met in all the wrong places, searching to find satisfaction in all the wrong places, thinking we can have contentment in anything other than him. Can I tell you, precious ones, he is supreme and superior over all. There is nothing in this world but him, but him. Let me save you a whole lot of pain and heartache. I've checked every place else. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He is all we need. He is the great I am. Everything we have need of. His answer is, I am, I'll be that for you. Stop looking for it every place else. I will be that. Do you believe that? And so the writer in chapter 2 is saying, therefore, for this reason, because he is superior over all, because he is all that in a bag of potato chips, let me just tell you what. Therefore, take heed. And he doesn't just say, take heed. He says, we must give more earnest heed. That's so interesting to me. There's a lot of little words there that we might be tempted to skip over. He says, therefore, we must. Remember, he's talking to believers. And he says, we must. It's, it's not an option. We must give earnest heed. That, that, that not we should, not we, we would, might be a good idea if we do. We must give more earnest heed. It's a required duty. The verb there is in the active voice. It means that we have to be actively involved. We have to make a choice to do this. We have to decide to give heed. We have to take responsibility for this. He says, we must give more earnest heed. And that word more earnest, it means more in a greater degree. It means especially above others. In other words, he's saying it's vital that if you're going to pay attention or give heed to anything, give heed to this. Give heed to my, what's coming out of my mouth next, he says. This needs to outrank everything else in your life. As far as attention goes, there's nothing more worthy of your attention than his word. It's interesting to me that he says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. God's word the things they've heard people teach, the things that they have heard from God. It's interesting to me, if you turn back to chapter 1 of Hebrews, it says in verse 1, God, who at various times, in various ways, spoke in time past to the, father, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. I just, I love it. He spoke by his son. Notice he says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Not by the power of his word, by the word of his power. Dave and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, isn't that interesting, Dave, that it's not by the word of his power. I have it memorized, and, and I had it memorized wrong. I said he upholds all things by the power of his word. Because I thought, the power of his word. So does that mean that when his word doesn't seem powerful, it doesn't get upheld anymore? No, it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Do you know that this word is power? Do you understand that this word is power? And, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says that God is speaking to us in this word. Christ is the word. Do you understand that? He's not just, he's not just, he's the living word. 
Do you see it? He's the living word. This, he speaks to us in this word. Uh, John chapter 1 say, in the beginning was the, and who was the word? Let's look at that. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, all things, not some things, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. In him and him alone was life, and that life was the light of man. And so God says, I spoke in the beginning through the prophets. We had a prophet here last week, and God used him power, or the week before, and God used him powerfully to speak to us. But can I just tell you what? You don't need a prophet to give you the word of God. You have it right here. He will speak to you in this word. You don't need prophet trout. You don't need any other prophet to come and say, God said this. You hear it every time you open that word. He wants to speak to you. And that's what Hebrews chapter 1 says. He wants to speak to his people. And that's why the writer says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to what we have heard, to what he's saying to us. Do you know that God wants to speak to you? The Amplified says, since all this is true, all what is true, that Christ is supreme, that he is superior, that there is no other, that there's nothing better. We ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. So we must give earnest heed above everything else. It's interesting that that word heed, now this is what we talked about last week, this word heed means to turn the mind to, to attend, to be attentive, to give attention to to devote thought and effort to, and here's my very favorite, to be addicted to. Oh, he says, therefore, because Christ is supreme over all, because he wants to talk to you, because there is nothing better than him, it would do you really good to pay careful, earnest heed. Be addicted to this word. Anybody here addicted to this word? We're addicted to coffee. We're addicted to food. We're addicted to pornography. We're addicted to drugs. We're addicted to alcohol. We're addicted to shopping. We're addicted to gossip. We're, we're addicted to a lot of things. But I wonder how many of us are addicted to the word of God. You see, when you really understand that he wants to speak to you, you will get addicted to this. You'll go there to get a word in due season. You won't need to call your friend anymore to get some advice. You won't need to go to your counselor anymore. That's still, don't, don't get me wrong, you might need to do that. But I'm just telling you, he is the wonderful counselor. And when you open up this word, he will counsel you. He will speak to you. He will direct your steps. I promise you. I promise you. He's supreme over all. There isn't anybody better to turn to. And so he says, therefore... We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. He said, I want you to be addicted to this. I want you to turn your mind to, I want you to be attentive to what you've heard. When you come to church on Sunday morning, I want you to be attentive to what you're hearing. And I don't just want you to hear it, I want you to do it. Because you haven't really heard it if you're not 
doing it. He says, I want you to come to church and I want you to turn your mind to the things of God. I want you to put that CD of a great preacher in and, and hear him teach and I want you to turn your mind to the word of God that's being spoken to you. I want you to give your attention to it. It's the idea of taking a hold of something and never stop giving attention to it. So when you come here on Monday night, I want you to turn your attention to the word of God that Rhea is speaking to you. I want you to take heed to it, to let it come into your mind and hold on to it and never let go of it. So when you leave here, you're not just leaving forgetting what you look like. You're not just leaving saying, well, that was a really good word. You are leaving with a nugget of truth to hold on to that will transform your life and change you. I promise it will. It's a command. What does he tell us to take more earnest heed to, to be addicted to? His words. And remember, not just hearing his words, not just turning your mind to his words, but actually doing them, applying them to our life. That's James 1.19. It's interesting uh, that, that I've been studying the difference between obedience, and Lord help me here, the difference between obedience and disobedience, because here is the temptation that I see a lot of people turn towards, is that when we start talking about obedience, immediately the thought goes to Oh, she's legalistic. She's going to tell me I have to obey the word of God. So preachers are getting afraid of talking about obedience. Not this one. Not this one. Because that word in James, when it talks about listening and becoming not just a hearer but a doer, it's a picture of obedience. And it's obedience for your blessing. It's obedience for your good. Turn over to, uh, let me just find it here. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. I want you to see something that I, I, I haven't seen before. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. We're talking about Abraham here. Actually, let's back up to verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Somebody say, obeyed. This is New Testament. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. He dwelt in the land of promise. I want you to see the reason that Abraham obeyed. Somebody tell me. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as a what? inheritance. Abraham knew that there was an inheritance waiting for him. He didn't know what it looked like. He didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't even know what, what was next on God's agenda, but he knew that God told him to do something. And if God told him to do it, there was an inheritance waiting. There was a promise connected with what God told him to do. And you see, he went out in the direction of the promise. He didn't go out in the direction of, uh, of you know, oh, this is, I have to obey God. And there, there wasn't any of that. It was a God God told me to do something. There's a promise connected to it. There's always inheritance in what he tells me to do in obedience. And so I'm going to go in the direction of that promise, in the direction of that, that inheritance, if you will. Are you with me? See, you're not following me because I, if you were, you'd be, you'd be really uh, moved by this because here's what I think happens. God tells us to do something. We open up his word and he speaks to us about something in our life. And we're like, I don't like that. 
if I have to forgive that person, if I have to be kind and compassionate, if I, if I have to not gossip, if I have to not lie, if I have to not do whatever. I'm kind of comfortable in this sin, Lord. I kind of like it. It's comfortable. And so I really like going in the direction of my comfort. <laughs> but Abraham, hey, the Bible says that he left everything and he lived in tents for a very long time. Hello, Abraham, that was not comfort, was it? But you see, he was willing to forego comfort because he understood that if I just obey God, there's a blessing coming. Can I tell you, church, I really have had it with people saying, oh, she's being legalistic. She's telling us to obey God. What about grace? That's my button. I'm just going to tell you. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that's empowering you to walk out obedience for the blessing that lies ahead of you. Can I just tell you? That's right, we do need to clap to that because I'm telling you that is the truth. That is the truth. And Abraham, he, he, he said that there is something, but God told me to do this and there's blessing in obedience and I am going to go get blessed. Everybody know Abraham was blessed indeed. So I've been studying the difference between obedience and disobedience and it is fascinating to me. I looked up all of the references to obey and obedience and disobedience and, and what was interesting to me is the word obey means to, of course, listen or hearken. It means to obey or submit to. But here's a part of the definition that I didn't understand right away. It means to listen under. And it's a relational term. So when I looked up the word disobedient, uh, that, that meant to be unwilling to hear. Remember, listen, but we don't really hear. We don't obey, so... James says you can't just listen because if you don't do what it says you haven't really heard, you're being disobedient. So it means to be unwilling to hear, to neglect to hear, or to pay no heed to what you hear. Sounds like Hebrews, doesn't it? But here's what shocked me. Are you with me? Are you staying with me? Because this, I might lose you, but stay with me, it's worth it. It also means to listen aside. What did obedience mean? To listen where? Under. What did disobedience mean? To listen. Oh, somebody, are you with me? What is lordship? Coming under his authority, submitting to his word. Obedience means to listen uh, under. I'm coming under his authority, and I'm going to not just listen. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Are you with me? That's obedience. Disobedience Almost just rocked my world. I had to call Leslie and say, can you just believe what this means? It means to listen alongside. Kelsey, come here. To listen alongside, because you know, Kelsey's my buddy. Kelsey only is, you know, she tells me fun things, good things, she loves me, and I, I love to be alongside of her. The picture of equals, we're tight. Certainly you understand. I hear what you're saying, Kelsey, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I love you, but, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm listening alone. <laughs> listening alongside. Anybody, did you catch that? Do you see what we do when we disobey God? We say, you know what, God, I heard you. I love you. We're in good relationship with you. But I have an idea about what's best for me, what I want to do. Disobedience to listen alongside, aside, obedience to listen under. That is so good, isn't it? 
And so I was thinking about this. It just, it just was alive inside of me. And, and I was looking up all those scriptures that talk about obedience and disobedience. And, and, and I started somehow to get to Deuteronomy 28. Does everybody know what Deuteronomy 28 is? It's the, it's the chapter that talks about blessing and curses. And, and I so am going to preach that one of these weeks. I think maybe next week or the week after. Because it says, if you do all that I command, you shall be blessed coming in. You shall be blessed going out. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be a lender and not a borrower. <laughs> You're going to be so blessed. Your offspring is going to be blessed. Your, your, your vineyards are going to be blessed. Your crops are going to be blessed. Everything is going to be blessed. Just do what I say. And then he says, but if you hear and you don't do what I say, cursed is going to be this and cursed is going to be that. And, and you say, well, Rhea, that's Old Testament. Well, let me tell you about my life, New Testament. That's what happened. It is what happened. It still works. But when I come under, I listen under his authority and I submit to to his word, I submit to his authority and I do what he tells me to do. I'm telling you the blessing of that kind of life is unbelievable. It is too real to deny. I'm just telling you, try it this week. Try it. Try, Try being kind when you want to be mean. Try blessing when you want to curse. Try dying to self and and doing what's best for somebody else for a change. Try sacrificing and see what happens. I'm telling you, this works. But you see, when they got to walk with him in the cool of the day, and, and, you know, they heard his voice, and, but then he gave a command. Fellowship with him, they got to walk with him in the cool of the day, and, and, you know, they heard his voice, and, but then he gave a command. And they listened, but they didn't hear. They didn't do what he said. And what happened? The blessing left. They were indifferent to his word. Did God really say, I don't know if God said, it looks tasty to me, I think I'll have a bite. Do you see what happens when we do that, when we say, Lord, I'm going to just listen alongside instead of listen under? There is blessing, I promise you, that comes with obedience. He says, I want you to give more earnest. Look at that Hebrew, back to Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And, and that means, lest they slip your mind. Oh, I, I, just, I just love it. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy, if you want to turn over uh, to 1 Timothy 4. 13, Paul was talking to Timothy, and he says to him, till I come, give attention to. It's that word, give heed to. Timothy, until I come, be addicted to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. I I love it. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying something very similar there. He's saying, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away, lest they slip your mind. That, that word drift away is, is just interesting there. It, it, you know, drifting is subtle. A ship can drift from a shore and not even feel it, not even realize it. But if the ship is anchored, it's not going anywhere. And that's what this term is if, for, the, for the Greeks. It was a, a nautical term, and it was a picture of a ship that had been anchored. Because remember, we're talking to who? Believers. Do you know that you have been anchored in Jesus? 
And so it's a picture of a ship that had been anchored, but guess what? The anchor was getting loosened by the currents and the tide coming in. And so it was starting to lift up, and the shift was, ship was starting to, was getting loosened by the currents and the tide coming in. And so it was starting to lift up, and the shift was, ship was starting to there. And he says, therefore, give more earnest attention, give heed to what you have heard, what you've heard, lest you drift away. Can I just tell you that we need to be anchored in his word? And, and, and what happens when we just hear and we don't do it, that that anchor isn't as firm a grip in our life. That's why the writer was writing in Hebrews 1 about the supremacy of Jesus, about the superiority of Jesus. He's saying that's what you need to be anchored in. You need to be anchored that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his way is the best way. You need to be anchored beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's never going to ask you something that isn't for your benefit and his glory. You need to be anchored in the truth of the word of God so that when the tides come, when the currents come and try to get you to shift, your anchor is going to be holding tight. And we do that by hearing and taking heed to what we've heard, by putting ourselves under good teaching, by putting ourselves in the, in the word of God day in and day out, morning by morning by morning by morning. The Bible says, early will you seek me. You say, Reed, that's legalistic. No, that's a lifeline for me. It is a lifeline for me. Ask Davy. It is my lifeline. I don't know how people do it. Because if I'm not anchored, I'm telling you, my ship will sail. It will sail. Smack dab to the pig pen. And so he says, you need to be anchored securely in, in the understanding that God's way is the best way, that his word is solid, it's true, it's trustworthy, it's reliable. It is the only way to live your life. It's interesting, I sent that song that we sang just a few minutes ago to Kelsey this morning. It's an elevation worship song, and I just sent it to her because I had been listening to it as I was working today, and it was just getting deep in my heart. And Kelsey, do you have the words printed anywhere? Can you just grab them real quick? But, but I sent it to Kels because I, I love it and I know she, she loves worship and, and the song just ministered to my heart so much and, and I just sent it to, for her information and she said, I'm going to learn that and sing it. And I'm like, Kelsey, I didn't send it to you for that reason. It's okay. I know it's a lot of work. And that little thing, learned that song that quickly and, and, and sang it tonight. But, but listen to the words. Walking around these walls, I thought they'd fall by now but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence that you have never failed me yet. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. And then it goes on and on. You know, I've seen you move mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was none, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And then it goes back to, this is my confidence. <laughs> Great is your faithfulness. 
Did you understand what that, what, what they were, when they wrote that song, what they were saying is, I have these walls and I thought they would fall by now. They're not falling. And I really believed that they would fall by now. But this is my confidence that great is your faithfulness. I still believe that your promise is true, that you will be faithful even if these walls aren't falling right now. And he was reminding himself, even as he wrote that song, about the truth of the word of God. He was anchoring himself because the storms were coming. Walls were big and they weren't coming down. And so he was anchoring himself in what he knew, the promise that God would be faithful no matter what. As I sat and listened to that song today, I was thinking, Lord, there are walls in my life that need to come down. There are obstacles. There are big things in my life that I have believed you for, that I thought would be done by now. I thought that you would have taken care of by now. But nonetheless, Lord, I will sit here and I will anchor myself in the truth that you will always be faithful to me, that you will never fail me, that the great is your faithfulness and my confidence is that I am in your hands and that I will stand in the midst of this do you see that I I chose to anchor myself in spite of what was going on around me and that is our choice church that is our choice because if you don't anchor yourself in the truth of his word when the enemy comes at you and he will when the storm mounts and it will and your boat is getting battered can I promise you that it will drift away if you are not anchored in the truth The truth is what will hold you. The truth is what will carry you through. But if you're coming into church on Sunday morning, if you're coming into Bible study on Monday night and you are hearing, but you're not then taking what you've heard and doing it and anchoring yourself in the truth, you'll start drifting. You will start drifting. And then let's look at the rest of that scripture. Notice it doesn't say reject. It says neglect. Those are two different words. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if this word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape, how shall we escape, if we neglect, not reject, neglect so great a salvation? There's so much there. I could just... I could preach for a couple of weeks just on that right there. When he's talking about the word spoken by angels, he's referring back to uh, Acts chapter 7, I think it's verse 53, where it talks about uh, the commandments given to Moses uh, through angels, by angels. So God, is, God spoke through prophets. He, sent, he spoke through the angel to, to Moses. Are you following me? And, and so he's, he's reflecting on that, and he's saying, if the commands of God... If if disobedience to the law, every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how much more shall we escape so great a salvation? If we hear but don't do. If we don't give earnest heed to what we're hearing and apply it to our life, how will we escape such a great salvation? And then he says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Can I tell you how, how seriously I take this? 
I, I think sometimes that you come here and you think, oh, she's off on a tangent again, and she's so passionate about the word, and she's a little much for me. She's a strong cup of coffee. But can I tell you something? With all of my heart and soul, the Bible says here that God spoke, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Do you know how seriously I take hearing him? That I sit and I labor in this word so that I can stand up here on Monday night and tell you what I've heard so that you can give careful heed to it and get anchored in his word. Do you, do you understand how seriously? I am not, I, I'm not just putting together a fine-sounding you know, sermon with three points and a joke. I'm telling you. I could care less about that. I'm just telling you that that is a work of man. And I sit and I labor over this word. I want to hear his voice. Three times I thought I heard it. The fourth time I had it. I labored. I would have told you the first time I thought I had the message for Monday night. But he says it needed to be, it was confirmed. God spoke and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I want to hear him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And yes, those still are at work in the church today. He speaks and then he backs it up with preachers who preach it. He speaks and backs it up with signs and wonders and, and a movement of his Holy Spirit. He wants you to give heed to what he's saying. He wants it to get down deep inside of you and anchor you because storms are going to come. And you know what? It's not always a storm. Sometimes it's complacency. Tonight in prayer, we prayed against a spirit of complacency because you see, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to say, I'm going to church, I'm going through the motions, I'm saved and going to heaven, hallelujah, I'm going to go do this on the weekend, I'm going to go to church, do my duty, and we become complacent. And our ship is drifting and we don't even realize it because we haven't been paying heed or giving heed or attention to what we've heard. We're told in Scripture to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. It's interesting, he said, how can we neglect so great a salvation? And that word neglect is interesting. When I was a little girl growing up, my dad had a garden. I hated that thing. Because every day I would come home and he'd be like, Rhea, it's time to go weed the garden. And I'm like, really? Do we have to do this? And, and my dad tended that garden every single day we were pulling weeds. Because you see, my dad knew if he neglected that garden, what was going to happen, and the weeds were going to grow up, and they were going to choke out the good plants. And, and he understood that. Kendall, my house is neat and tidy. I just, that's who I am. And, but Kendall's room, I don't clean. She's in charge of cleaning her own room. And I just have gotten to a point where if she wants to live like that, she can live like that. But I'm pretty sure that you have to jump from her door to her bed because she has so many clothing. She changes her clothing six times before she goes to school, and they're all on the floor after she does it. And I just was deciding that I'm not even sure I'm going to pick them up anymore. If they don't hit the hamper, they're not getting washed. And I thought that that would hinder her, but she'll wear them dirty. And, and so, really, she just neglects her room. And part of it is that she's just so busy, she doesn't have time to do it. And and I don't harass her about it. It's her room. But boy, does it look neglected. If you come into my house, 
Leslie, you've been there. You can, my house is neat and tidy until you walk up the steps and turn into Kendall's room. And then you're like, what tornado hit this room? And this is Kendall. She neglects her room. And it shows. And it shows when we neglect so great a salvation. Can I tell you what that word salvation is? It means well-being. It means rescue. It means deliverance. It means wholeness. Let me just get all the definition because I don't want to. I don't want to cheat it. Um, but but it, it's just a. It's a great. Oh Lord, where is it? Rescue, deliverance, person, uh, uh, pers- uh, uh, safety, salvation, well-being. God's power to deliver from a bondage of sin. Oh, I, I just love that. He said, if you neglect the fact that that my word can rescue you, that my word can deliver you, that my word can bring well-being into your life, that my word can actually give you the power that you need to to, to deal with sin in your life. Why would you neglect so great a salvation? What is up with you? That's what he's saying. You have to give careful heed to what you're hearing because those words will keep you from drifting away. And that salvation that God gave that gave to you in Christ Jesus, that deliverance, that freedom will be found as you apply that word to your life, as you live that word in your life, as you get anchored in that word, there will be a deliverance that happens in your life. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Tend to it. Tend to it. One commentator says that that drifting away describes that carelessness of mind which perhaps occupied by other things is not even aware that it's losing ground. Tend it. Tend to it, this movement. Ray Steadman, one of my favorite commentators, says the danger, of being, the danger being referenced here is that of a great loss occurring unnoticed. It's not intentional or necessarily purposeful. It's just neglectful. It's careless. And you don't even realize it. You didn't set out to be careless. It just happened because you neglected it. Poor little Kendall. She's probably wishing she had been here tonight. But she works at Starbucks. And Dave and I got her these two little rings. They weren't cheap rings, but she wanted them really badly. And, and so I think we got one for her birthday and one for Christmas. And, uh, and so she was really chuffed with these rings and she never took them off her finger. And, and, and they're cute little rings. And um, she came home last night and she had her Starbucks apron and it was just covered. And, and, and I said, oh honey, that needs to be washed. And so I took it from her and I took her name tag off of it. And I know she always has a Sharpie pen in her pocket. And so I reached in to get her Sharpie pen and two of her rings were in that pocket. And I said, oh, my Kendall, good thing we, we got these. And she said, well, there's a third ring in there, Mom. I said, oh, no, honey, there's only two rings in there. And she got the, the apron out of the, the washing machine, and she went through it again. And she said, no, there were three rings in here, Mom. I put three rings in here. And I'm like, honey, those are expensive rings just to stick in your apron pocket. And, 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 and you know, she takes that apron off at Starbucks and walks to the car with the apron. And I said, I bet you need to go back and, and check your tracks. I bet one of those rings slipped out on your way to the car. And, and so she went out to the car from the house, and she checked the driveway on the way in, the, sta- the steps and in the laundry room. And 
She couldn't find it, and I said, well, you need to check Starbucks parking lot because it's probably slipped out of your apron pocket, and we're careless, honey. She's like, can I get a new one? And I'm like, mm, no. You were careless with the one you had, and it slipped away. Now, she didn't mean it when she dropped those rings in her pocket. She, she was just, she was working, and she needed to have them off her fingers. And so rather than take the time to put them neatly away, she just stuffed them in her pocket thinking everything would be fine. It wasn't a careless act at that moment. It was, you know, she was just doing what she needed to do. But the loss that occurred was major for her. She loved those rings. That's the picture. It's not you being careless on purpose. I'm going to defy God. I'm going to do my own thing. It's neglect. It's just not purposeful. It just slipped away like Kendall's ring. Didn't even notice it till it was too late. And he's saying, don't, don't let it be too late. She should have anchored that ring in her pocket. She should have safety pinned it in or put it in her wallet, but she didn't, and it carelessly slipped away, and, and that's what he's saying. Can I tell you that some of you are drifting tonight, and you need to ask yourself, how did I get here? How did I get here? Don't neglect such a great salvation. Make sure that you're hearing and that you're doing what you've heard. I just want to read you what Albert Barnes says in closing, and, and it's a bit lengthy, but I really feel like it sums up this chapter so well because, see, some of you aren't really hearing because he's talking to believers here. He's talking to believers. And he's saying, don't, don't, don't neglect this salvation. He's saying, give heed to what you're hearing, lest you drift away and you neglect your salvation. You neglect your salvation. He's talking to believers, not unbelievers. So Albert Bond says, it is not merely if we commit great sins, not if we are murderers, adulterers, thieves, infidels, atheists, scoffers. It is if we merely neglect the salvation. If we do not embrace it, if we suffer to pass unimproved, neglect is enough to ruin a man. A man who is in business need not commit forgery or robbery to ruin himself. He only has to neglect his business and his ruin is certain. A man who is lying in a bed of sickness need not cut his throat to destroy himself. He only has to neglect the means of restoration and he will be ruined. A man floating in a skiff above Niagara need not move an oar or make an effort to destroy himself. He only has to neglect using the oar at the proper time and he will certainly be carried over the falls. Most of all the most. All the calamities of life are caused by simple neglect. By neglect of education, children grow up in ignorance. By neglect of a farm, a farm grows up to weeds and briars. By neglect, a house goes to decay. By neglect of sowing, a man will have no harvest. By neglect of reaping, the harvest would rot in the fields. 
Let no one infer, therefore, that because he is not a drunkard or an adulterer or a murderer, that therefore he will, not be, he will be saved. Such inference would be irrational, as it would be for a man to infer that because he is not a murderer, his farm will produce a harvest, or that because he is not an adulterer, therefore his merchandise will take care of itself. Salvation would be worth nothing if it costs no effort. And there will be no salvation where there is no effort put forth. You say, well, Rhea, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are. Not by works. Yes, you are. I heard a gentleman talk about how this is such a picture of a man drowning and somebody standing on the shore and throwing him a life raft and him saying, hang on to that rope until you're safely to shore. And that man holds on to that rope with everything he has until he's pulled safely to shore. Now, would that man get to shore and say, look, I saved myself. Look how great I am. I held on to the rope. No, he wouldn't say that. Would he say, look how great that rope is. It got me safely to shore. No, no, he, he wouldn't say that. He would say uh, that, uh, that I, I just want to read it to you because it's so, this quote was so good. He said, uh, he would never say that I saved myself by hanging on. He would say, that man saved me. I just hung on. The idea that you think you saved yourself because you held on is not true to fact. That's why Peter says in his, se in his second letter, make your calling and election sure. God has elected you and chosen you. Now make sure that by pressing on and going to maturity, by hanging on to the rope, you get safely to shore. This man, his name was David Paulson, says, predestination, I believe in it. God predestined me to be his son. God elected me. He chose me. He was after me long before I was after him. That's true. But nevertheless, I need to make that calling and election sure by holding on to the rope until I'm safely on the shore. God is doing the saving. It's not the rope. It's not my holding on to it. To say that the rope saves you or that you're holding on to the rope saves you is ridiculous. It is he who saves you. But he says, grab hold of this and hold on until I get you safe. There's safety in obedience. I'm just telling you. You can continue doing what you're doing and drifting. I, I, I can't stop you, but here's what I want to tell you. God's word is a fence of protection in our life. And just as I close, let me just tell you a story about my son, Mike. We were driving to Pennsylvania to visit my parents many years ago, and my children were all younger, and they were, I had the van, and everybody was in the back, and they all had their headphones on, and they were sleeping, and Mikey was sitting up front with me, and, and we were, you know, it was a long drive, and we were on this massive highway. There were several lanes this way, several lanes going the other way, and, and I was just lost in thought, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden, Mikey screams, look out, and I, I looked over to where he was pointing, and there was a massive buck, massive buck, ready to cross these three lanes of highway and then three more the other direction. And, and, and Mike said to me, you know, why in the world did he jump that fence? And I looked, and sure enough, the whole length of the highway, there was a fence, big fence placed there. And behind the fence, there was all kinds of wooded, beautiful area and then a massive meadow for, for, for the deer could run freely in. 
And that fence was put there to protect the wildlife from jumping over and coming up on the highway. And you know as well as I do that that deer was going to get smushed in no time. And, and, and it was interesting. Mike, Mike was saying, why didn't he stay behind that fence? Why did he have to jump the fence? And it was a major teaching moment for me. And I said to him, Mikey, do you understand that God's word is a fence of protection for us? Just like that fence was there to protect that deer from jumping over, knowing that there was danger on the other side of it. But that deer just had to see what was on the other side. And you know, that was how I lived my life for a long time. I knew what God's word said. But I just thought it was keeping me from whatever was on the other side that had to be so much more exciting. Uh, certainly, God was withholding from me. Certainly, God just didn't want me to have a good time. And I jumped the fence more times than I can even tell you. And every single time, it brought death. And it took me many years to realize that this was God's fence of protection for me. It wasn't his list of do's and don'ts to keep me from having life. It wasn't this legalistic set of rules that he wanted me to follow as this dictator God. It was his protection for me. And I, it would do me good to get anchored in that word so, so that I was not moved, so that my ship didn't drift out into danger. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And just like James said, we need to not just be hearers of the word. We need to be doers because that man, remember what we said last week, that man will be blessed in all he does. And that's what Hebrews is reiterating for us here. And so this week, my challenge for you is to sit before the Lord, to sit in his word, to take the word tonight and apply it to your life, to let it anchor you, let it get deep inside of you, to pay attention to it, to, to really get addicted to it and, and, and let it soak in and hold on to it in your mind. Don't leave here and let it drop off. Don't leave here and neglect what you heard. Leave here, apply it to your life. Let it build a firm foundation in you so that you are not easily moved that you are not easily led astray, so that you won't drift away. And that the salvation that's promised to you, that you can take full benefit of it. You see, salvation is so much more than dying and going to heaven. It's deliverance here. It's wholeness here. It's well-being here. That's why we can't neglect it. We want to get everything out of it we can. But like Abraham, when God says to do something, we need to go in the direction of the promise. We need to go in the direction of the deliverance. We need to go in the direction of the well-being and not in the direction of our comfort. Because there is blessing that will follow that. Do you believe it? We've got to settle it in our mind that this word is true. That it's what's best for us. That Rhea's not a flight attendant up here just barking out a bunch of orders that you can ignore and get home safely. That this stuff really works. And it really does bring life. It really does bring life. I have a friend that, uh, that's really in a hard place in her life. And she cornered me a couple weeks ago and she said, Rhea... How do you get to that place? She said, I see it in you. I just don't know how to get there. She said, my life is so hard. 
I'm like, oh, dear one, my life is so hard. But this is the anchor that holds me. This is the anchor that holds me. I'm not just preaching. I'm not putting together a message to just entertain you. With all my heart and soul, I want to tell you, this is the only way. And it is the way to life. It's the way to blessedness. It's the way to prosperity and complete and total well-being. And so, Father, I want to pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray, Lord God, that this week that you would anchor us even more in your word that you would firm up the foundation underneath us of your word. Lord, for those who are in a storm right now and their, their ship is getting battered and, and, and drifting away with the undercurrents, Father, I want to pray for them that, that you speak a now word, a ready word, a rhema word into their life this week that will hold them and steady them. Lord, for the people who have just carelessly drifted away because they have not given heed to what they've heard. Oh, they go through the motions, but they haven't given heed to it. They haven't applied it to their life and done it. I thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. They're not leaving here condemned. They're leaving here with hope, with new hope of new life. Father, I want to pray for those who, who open your word and, and they don't feel like you do speak to them and yet Hebrews promises that you want to speak. Lord, I pray that this week that the veil would fall from their eyes and that they would be able to see the truth in your word like they never have before and that they would hear you, Lord, that they would hear your voice speaking to them because you are the living word. You're in the written word, but you are the living word. Let that word come alive in them. And Father, for those who have been neglecting their salvation, that they've been neglecting their relationship with you, that busyness has taken them away, that the gods of this world have lured them away, that disobedience, they don't want to do what you say, it's too hard, has lured them away. Oh, Father God, I thank you that today is the day of salvation. That today they can hearken your voice and not harden their heart. And you'll deliver them and set them free. Restore unto them the joy of their salvation, Father. Renew a right spirit within them. And Lord, I pray for all the distractions of this world. I pray, Lord, that we would not be lured away, that they would not cause us to neglect our salvation that you would fix our eyes on you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that we would finish well, Lord. That we would not sit here and deceive ourselves saying we're not murderers, we're not adulterers, we're, we're, we're not drunkards. We just have been neglecting our salvation. Lord, sober us up. 
Help us choose the life that comes in obedience to your word. Bless each one, I pray, Father God, in Jesus' name.